Welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. We are so glad that you're here worshiping with us today. And uh, we want to dive right into God's Word and just keep worshiping Him through the study of the Bible. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. Uh, if you need one, there should be a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you. You can look under the chairs. I'd love for you to grab one of those and follow along there as well. Um, we're going to go to Acts chapter 4 today. So that's where we're starting. Uh, we've been kind of working our way through the book of Acts in this new study, uh, Big God, Bold Witness, and specifically right now looking at the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And uh, one of the things that um, we did last week, we were talking about, um, it was entitled, Holy Spirit Gives Boldness, Part 1. So what, what do you think this week is? Holy Spirit Gives Boldness, Part 2. You guys are so sharp. I love that, okay? So we're just going to be digging into this today and seeing how we continue to walk in that. And, um, and so as you're kind of getting settled there, I'll start with this. Um, I want you guys to know, um, some of you, if you've been here for a while, you probably already know this, but... Um, there seems to be a little bit of a rift um, or a divide in our church right now. Uh, I don't know if you guys have kind of felt this or noticed this. Um, it, it oftentimes will lead to one side persecuting the other one somewhat incessantly. Um, and so obviously I'm referring to the, to the iPhone versus Android conflict. Do you guys know about this going on? Is anybody else aware on this right now? So um, in our... Elders and staff, um, we're all iPhone people, except for our dear friend, uh, Mr. Chris, um, holding strong, holding strong the Android position. So, a um, couple weeks ago, we were having a conversation at our prayer time, and he was he was going on about how he uh, was confused because like all the people in the small group were on this like group text, and they were texting each other and stuff, and um, he's like, "What? I keep getting these texts, and it says that so and so liked the text. Like, what is that?" And we're like, "Oh." that's an iPhone thing. You can't do that, right? Like that's, Androids don't have that. So like, that's just part of the thing. And he's like, oh, stupid iPhones or whatever. So, um, so a couple days later, he texts me something. Um, and I think we might even have a picture of that. Do we have a picture of that, Jenny? So this, this was a text string. So he texted me, I guess, uh, but I guess any positive growth is growth. And so I gave him the like button. If you got all the iPhone people know I'm talking about, right? He pushed the little like button. And so he says, uh, did you like that on purpose? So then I gave him the ha-ha button. And, and they said, now you're just being cruel. And I was like, question mark? Like, what are you talking about? And these sent me this gif of some lady throwing her phone at me with, with a word that I'm pretty sure is like a curse word in Arabic. I'm not exactly, I didn't translate it, but like, so, so there's this thing going on. And I probably, I'll just be honest, I probably need to repent a little bit and apologize to my brother for persecuting him over his Android phone so much. Um, but I'll tell you this, through all of it, he has stood firm with his cell phone choice, all right? Like he has been bold and strong and stood his ground um, there. So that, that's kind of a humorous example of persecution, but we know there's lots of other examples that maybe aren't so humorous. Uh, we talked a little bit about that last week. We're going to talk more about that this week. But some of you have experienced actual real persecution for your faith at some point in your life. On the job, with, at school, with your friends, with your family, you felt that that pressure, you felt that attack before because of what you believe. If you haven't, I'm just telling you right now, I'm not a prophet or anything, but I'm telling you, you probably will in the not so distant future. That's the kind of course we're headed on right now, okay? So we need to know that. We need to be ready for that. Um, and we see here in the book of Acts and in the early church that they understood that and they knew and learned how to deal with persecution of their faith. And so I think we have a good opportunity here this morning to learn from them how we should respond as followers of Christ when our faith is indeed persecuted in the future. 
So here's kind of the big thought today, the big question. How can I live a life of gospel boldness in the face of persecution? Uh, we need to do some prep work this morning. Maybe you're not there yet, but you will be at some point. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will be there. So we need to prepare ourselves. How, well, uh, how can I live a life of gospel boldness in the face of persecution? Or if I shorten that, I would just say, how can I be bolder when persecuted? All right, that's kind of the root of what we're going for. So chapter 4 of Acts, look with me at verse 23. Kind of catch you up real quick. So Peter and John coming into the temple, lame guy there. They heal him. They go in the temple together. They start preaching the gospel, right? A bunch of people respond and get saved, but at the same point, they get arrested by the Jewish leaders. So Peter and John are in jail. They finally get to the trial, and they give them their defense, and they basically say, hey, stop talking about Jesus. You're not allowed to talk about Jesus anymore. And Peter and John are like, tough. God told us to do it. We're going to do it. And so then they release them because they can't really do anything to them at this point. And we're picking up in verse 23 when they get released. It says, when they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Pause there. So the first thing we see here as they start to respond to this is, number one, when you're persecuted, remember you're not alone. The first thing we have to know when persecution comes is we have to remember that you're not alone. All right? So as soon as the Peter and John get released, they go and it says they reported to the church. They quickly relayed the information to the other believers, like, listen, here's what's happened. You need to know, you need to be aware of what's possibly coming, All right? So they get them kind of caught up. And then notice, what is the very first thing that they do when they find out? They pray. They turn to the Lord in prayer. That's their immediate response. And I love how it says that they lifted their voices together. Voices there in the Greek is actually singular, meaning they lifted all their voices as one together unto the Lord. We see an immense amount of unity come here. And that's the first thing about persecution is that persecution builds unity. We're going to see that over and over again throughout the book of Acts, that it builds unity in the people of God. You've heard the saying, right, that the the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? When people start coming against you, man, like that's, there, there's something that, that pulls you together, right? Because, hey, we're, we're, we're doing this thing. We're locking arms, and the church needs to do that. We need to be unified. It says they lifted their voices together to God. Two very important words there, right? They're not trusting in themselves. They're not trusting in somebody else. They're trusting in Yahweh. They're trusting in the Lord alone because persecution also builds dependence. When persecution comes, we need to press into the Lord because we need him. We're dependent on him. We don't have the power to handle that on our own. There's a great book on prayer uh, by S.D. Gordon called Quiet Talks on Prayer. And he makes this quote in the book. He says, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. There's lots of stuff we can go and do for the Lord after we have humbled ourselves and put ourselves dependent on him in prayer. But us trying to run headlong into things before we've talked to the Lord and got him, his, his uh, blessing, his favor on, what, man, that's just going to end horribly. So persecution builds unity, it builds dependence. And then notice the very first words of their prayer. They cry out, sovereign 
Lord. It's an interesting phrase there. They don't, it's not used a lot in the Greek. It's actually uh, the same word that means sovereign Lord here, or translates sovereign Lord, is the same word that we get our title despot from, which is not like a super great title in our minds because we think about human guys who have this ultimate power and this ultimate authority that just abuse it and, and t- you know, hurt people and all these other kind of things. But when it's God, it's a glorious thing because there is no sin in him. And his perfect ultimate power and authority is always used for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. So here they cry out to the sovereign Lord and they follow it up with, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. No one can compare or rival your power, God. You are the alpha and the omega, the almighty creator, the master of all. And here's the best part, friends. We're all on his side. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I know a lot of times we sing songs or say things about, you know, that, that God is on our side. That's kind of true. But I think it would be better if we said, you know what? We're on his side. Right? We're with him. He is the all-powerful one. Psalm 18, 2 says it this way. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. When persecution and threats and trouble and suffering come against us, we have to remember we're not alone. God is with us. The sovereign Lord is with us. He's our stronghold, our refuge, our deliverer. The third thing is that persecution builds faith. When we have to understand that we can't do it on our own and we need him to deliver us, man, all of a sudden, our faith grows exponentially out of pure necessity. So I I think something important to, to touch on here for just a second is when it comes to persecution, we need to remember that this, this whole idea of remembering that God is with us, that we're not alone, that that is a theological response to persecution, not an emotional response to persecution. And that's what we need. Right? Emotions are not a bad thing. Emotions were given to us by God. He uses them in some powerful ways. But emotions are not a trustworthy gauge of reality. Your emotions are not your friend when it comes to discerning what is true and not true. Our world tells us the opposite. Our culture says it's all about emotions, right? Whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you happy, just do that, right? When it comes to money, when it comes to things, when it comes to sex, when it comes to substances or lifestyle choices, whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you feel good, just do that. Because they think that it's all about emotions. But the problem is emotions are fickle. And they're fleeting. And they come and go with every change of circumstance. They're not trustworthy for the long term. And the goal of persecution is to attack your emotions in hopes that when those emotions crumble, that you will turn tail and run from what you're supposed to be standing for. When the persecution comes, we can't rely on our emotions. We need a theological base, a theological response 
God's God's word is the only foolproof gauge of reality. Only God's word tells us what is true all the time in every situation about everything. This is what we need. It's absolute, perfect, unchanging wisdom that exposes the truth in every situation. We can trust it. We can stand on it to help navigate us and and bring us through because it gives us a clear picture of who we are and who God is. And when you have that, when you clearly understand your heart and your brokenness and your frailty and you understand that the sovereign Lord is in control of all things, it sets right everything else in the course of our lives. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our deliverer, our refuge, our shield, our stronghold. No matter what your emotions tell you, no matter what you feel in the midst of the persecution, that is reality. That is true. That's what we need. If we're going to withstand persecution with gospel boldness, we have to have a theological rather than an emotional foundation. But here's the trick. Everybody always wants the trick, right? The silver bullet, the shortcut. Here's the trick. You don't develop a theological foundation in the heat of the persecution. If you wait until it comes, that's too late. You have to prepare yourself ahead of time by studying God's word and building up the stronghold of your heart to stand against the attacks of the enemy. If you wait till it's the moment of the emotions will be too strong and they will overtake you and you will not stand. We have to train, we have to prepare beforehand. If you're gonna remember that God is with you, you have to know that he's with you before you need him. This past year, um, I, I went snorkeling for the first time. Um, and it was, it was kind of like a spur-of-the-moment deal. I, 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 we were at this senior pastors and wives retreat, and like a big group of pastors and wives were going to be going. It's like, hey, you want to go? Like, okay. Um, I, I, tend, I tend to get motion sick really easily. Um, and so, you know, little boats on big oceans don't really do well for me. Like, that's not a thing I usually sign up for. Um, but somebody had some meds, and thank God for drugs. And so I, I put those on and, and just got on the boat, and we went to do the thing. And so we're, we're kind of floating out to the, the spot, and they start giving you all the gear, you know, like the life vest and the, and the goggles and the little, like, airy, tubey thing. And, um, and, and then they give you, like, this, like, two-minute instruction on, like, here's how to use the stuff. Two minutes. That was it. That's all I got, two minutes. Like, do this, put it in your mouth, the whole thing. So we get to the spot. Everybody starts piling off the boat and starts kind of swimming and following the guide out to the reefs. And, like, we're, we're, like, one of the last ones off the boat. And so then I'm trying to, like, swim, catch up, and, you know, out of shape, out of breath, right? So I'm trying to get up to the rest of the group and get there, and, and it's, it's not going super great. And so finally get to a spot where they're like, all right, now you can see some stuff. And so I get the thing all set up, and I go to put my face in the water to start looking for fish. And as soon as my face hits the water, I go, <gasps> because that's what you do when you go underwater. That's like the normal person. Like, I don't have gills. I'm not a fish. I've been swimming for however many years. I won't tell you my age. I've been swimming all these years now. Like, so when I go underwater, my gut reaction is to hold my breath. But the problem is when you take a big breath and then you let it out and then you're trying to gasp for air back and you can't get enough air through the little air tubey thing. And so like, then you're just like, <gasps> and so I had to come back up. 
So I bet you I did this process 10 or 15 times. Right? I come back up, kind of get myself composed, go again. <gasps> and now I'm coming back up like it's just, it was not working well. And so after about less than 10 minutes, maybe less than five minutes, the guy's like, all right, everybody back on the boat. And so everybody starts swimming back. I'm like, I, 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 I didn't snorkel. I floated and saw some seaweed. That's pretty much all that happened for me in the ocean that day. And so we kind of get back to the boat and everything. We get back on and the whole deal. Do you know why I didn't snorkel that day? Because I had zero preparation leading up to that moment. Right? I had never done it before. I never tried it before. I had no, I had no idea. Like, I had no time to practice and prepare of this is how you do this successfully. And then when the moment came and I was getting all flustered and frustrated and upset and the emotions were building, it made it harder and harder and harder to actually get it done. The same thing happens when persecution comes in our lives. If we wait till the moment, the emotion will overtake you and you will not be able to stand. You have to prepare your heart ahead of time through the study of God's word to know and remember that God is with you. He is your stronghold. He is your deliverer. You don't have to walk through the fire on your own. He will protect you. When persecution comes, remember, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. You gotta have that. You gotta have that before the moment Jesus is with you. He's protecting you. He's delivering you. Let's keep reading with their prayer. Look at verse 25. They go on. Sovereign Lord, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Number two, when persecution comes, remember you're not, al- you're not the first. You're not alone, but you're also not the first. Here, as they're praying, they say, through the mouth of David. So they're starting to quote here Old Testament scriptures. And just another reminder of how awesome and powerful our God is, is that he has been with and active in his people for, from the beginning of time, from the beginning of his people existing, he's been there. And even to the point where he prophesies through some of them, as he does through King David here. And they quote Psalm 2, verses 1 through 2, and they say, Lord, who are these people who have gathered against you, who have gathered against your anointed? That psalm originally was written actually about King David and about the armies that were coming against Israel and his chosen king. But it also applies to so much more than that, and it points forward to the coming Messiah and to his reign and how he would be opposed and persecuted as well. So we see that this becomes true of generations and and eons of people. Right? You have... The true, it was true of Israel and King David as other nations attacked them because they believed in Yahweh and not whatever other gods were in the area. It was true of Jesus, as it says here, as Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and Israel all came against him because of his message of love and grace and forgiveness. 
That's why he came, right? Because all of us as humans, myself included, we're born into and are stuck in a world of sin and brokenness, and we are separated from God because of our sinful choices and our sinful actions. And God wanted his people back. He wanted to fix that. He wanted to make a way, and so he sent his son Jesus to come live a perfect and sinless life and to preach the kingdom is coming, repent and be forgiven. And they didn't like that message. So they took him to the cross and he allowed himself to be crucified to take our sins on the cross, to be our substitute, to die in our place, and then to go into the ground. And three days later, he was resurrected back to life to show that he was God, to show that he was the one who had the power to say, repent and forgive, be forgiven of your sins. Come. he was persecuted for that message. And then after him, we see in Acts that the early church and the apostles, as they continue to preach that same message, they're going to be persecuted again and again and again. And it didn't stop with them. You can go read church history, and it has happened every generation since then. Maybe not in every country of the world, but somewhere on the earth, God's people have been persecuted for the preaching and the gospel and for the power of his word in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's no different for us today. So when persecution comes, when it comes to your life, when it comes to your house, remember, you're not the first. You're in great company. King David, Jesus the Messiah, the apostles, the early church, the saints throughout the ages. We're just another one of God's people in the long line that have been following him faithfully in the face of persecution. But look how they continue to pray. They quote the scripture and then they say, Lord, but we know all this persecution is whatever your hand and your plan had predestined. We've already seen that God was ultimately in control of all things, that he has absolute authority and power. He is the creator. And therefore, what they're saying here is that nothing happens without his allowance. That nothing in our lives, good or bad, happens without God saying it's okay. Sometimes that's a really hard pill to swallow, isn't it? We love to call God does something good in our life. But when the bad stuff comes, it's funny how we want to point fingers in so many other directions. Let me give you a personal example of this from our lives. When Courtney and I um, graduated college, uh, we were both public school teachers for a while. And uh, Courtney was a music teacher, and she was a fantastic music teacher. Um, she loved those kids. She taught those kids. She poured into their lives character and spiritual things, and they loved her. And she had a huge impact in their lives. However, one of the districts that she worked in um, did not appreciate her spiritual foundation in her life. And um, it was known to be a more liberal, progressive type of district. And a lot of the administrators and a lot of the, the leadership um, were embracing uh, things other than what we, we would have considered as good character and things like that. And so 
over the course of about three years, they started making her job and her life very difficult. Um, they started nitpicking every little thing she did. They started setting up all these different expectations and constantly changing the expectations uh, in order to throw her off. And they would um, create this paper trail of evaluations trying to prove that she was an inept teacher. Um, and Courtney, man, bless her heart, she did the best she could. She worked so hard to meet every one of their expectations. And as soon as she'd meet one, they'd change it to something else. And what was crazy was there were other teachers in the building saw it so much that they were coming to her and being like, I don't understand what's going on. Like, like, why are they doing this? What is happening? Like, this doesn't make any sense. But she just continued to press into that and she continued to be a good witness on her job with her coworkers, with her students, with her administrators. She just continued to, to love them and do her very best and follow the Lord and all of that. But in the end, they worked it out where they could not renew her contract because they had the paper trail that they had created of all these unmet expectations. And that was extremely hard. And I know I'm biased, all right? It's my beautiful wife and I love her, but I can assure you she did, that did not happen because she was a bad teacher. That happened because she loved the Lord and was shining the light of Jesus in that building and they did not like it. But God used that in so many ways. Because they did not renew her contract, we were then even more freed up to pursue full-time vocational ministry, which eventually led us back here to do this. Because of that, she had multiple teachers and people approach her afterwards and say to her, I don't know how you did it, but I just wanted you to know that you handled that amazingly. Like your character shown through through all of that. And it doesn't, it's not fair and it's not right, but you did it right. And they knew she was a Christian. They were connecting the dots. She was not shy about her faith. And I saw God use that in her life to refine her and to make her faith stronger, to make her dependence on the Lord stronger, to take her identity out of maybe a career or a role and put it more in him. Persecution is never fun, but God uses it. He allows it and he uses it to pass through his hand to do wonderful things in our lives. In God's perfect sovereign hand, persecution is merely a tool for sanctification. What the devil means for evil, God uses for good. And he allows persecution to come and to pass through his hand so he can use it to sanctify us and to draw us closer into him and more dependent on the gospel and more humble in Christ and to be used in a powerful way for his kingdom. God allows persecution not for our defeat, but precisely for our triumph in Christ. So we can be sure that the more God allows persecution in our lives, the more he's sanctifying us and making us like Jesus. Just like David, just like Jesus, just like the apostles in the early church, when God allows us to suffer, he shapes our lives into his kingdom, into his image. So remember, when persecution comes, remember, you're not the first. 
suffer like Jesus. This guy that we say that we love, that we follow, that is king of our lives, he knew a lot about suffering and persecution. So when it comes to us, that's a chance for us to be more like him. Step into it. Remember, you're not alone. Remember, you're not the first. Then the third thing, look at verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. They're still praying here. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. There's our key word for today. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Third thing, remember, you're on a mission. You are on a mission for Jesus. They cry out, now, Lord, look. Like, we need you. Look at our situation, God. We need you to show up right here. You see, even though we know that his power and his hands are in control of the situation and in control of the persecution and that he's allowing it, that does not mean that we still shouldn't cry out for help, right? Do not let your theology puff you up like, oh, God's got it. This is all, you know, sovereign Lord and blah, blah, blah. And no, no, no. <laughs> let your good theology that the Lord is with you bring you humbly before his presence to cry out and say, Lord, help me. I know you're using this. I know you've got this. I know you're in control, but I need you right now. They say, now look upon their threats and grant us boldness. That's a really striking prayer. They don't pray for safety. They don't pray for protection. They don't pray for victory over their enemies. They don't pray for power in order to overthrow the Romans. They don't pray for any of that. They pray for boldness. Last week we defined gospel boldness as that confidence in the Holy Spirit, not in us, in the Holy Spirit that gives us the courage to stand and speak in the face of persecution. This is what they're praying for because they understand that persecution is ordained and inevitable. I don't know when you came to Christ what that situation looked like and how that worked for you. I hope that you weren't sold a bill of goods. That following Jesus means everything is awesome and easy. Because that's not what Jesus said. John 15, verse 18, Jesus says this. If the world hates you, anybody ever feel that? If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus isn't pulling any punches here. He's telling you straight up, this is what it's going to look like. He goes on, remember that the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. They know that persecution is part of the deal. So they don't pray for it to go away. 
They don't pray for God to remove them from the situation. They don't pray for power to overcome it. They pray for boldness. The courage to stand in the face of persecution, just like Jesus. But then they back up that ask for boldness with this, another statement of truth about who God is. They said, give us boldness while you, God, stretch out your hand. That awesome, powerful, uh, omnipotent, the almighty hand, let that be the one that leads us forward. His hand will accomplish exactly what he has decided no matter what circumstances, no matter what opposition comes. They say, stretch out your hand to heal, to do signs, to do wonders. You see, God hadn't stopped. God hadn't given up. God was still working. He was still moving the mission forward despite what the Jewish leaders were saying, despite what they were threatening, despite what was happening all around them. God was active and moving, and they knew it, and they believed it. Persecution can sometimes stop the natural, but it can never stop the supernatural. Sometimes persecution will put you in jail. Sometimes it will take away your job. Sometimes it will cost you money. Sometimes it will cost you your life. But that's all it can do. All that they can do is persecute the man. They cannot bring a finger against our God. He will march on, his mission will march on, and he will have another group of believers who are carrying the torch forward long after we're gone. Man, I love our church. I'm so glad that God has allowed us to plant and start a new gospel community right here in St. Louis. But listen, guys, we're only three years old, not even. And I pray that someday we'll be 10 and 20 and 50, but there will be a day where Harvest Bible Chapel, St. Louis South, will cease to exist. Do you understand that? That this name, this collection right here, this is not forever. We are just another piece of the puzzle. We are just the next person in the baton line that God is handing the gospel to, to carry it forward so we can get it to some other future generations. They're going to have a to totally different name and a different logo and music that's not nearly as good as ours, but like they're going to be carrying it forward then. And this is the way the gospel works, because God doesn't stop. The mission keeps going. And we're grateful to get to do our part, even in the face of persecution. God is still moving and working today. And friends, if we will get like this on our knees and pray for boldness, God will move in our lives, in our church, in our city. Look, it says, when they prayed, the place was shaken. That's symbolic. That's like in the Old Testament theophany, when God's presence came down and things were shaken, right? And it says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, again, this is a different, we talked about this before, but this is different than like the filling at Pentecost, right? The Pentecost filling was Holy Spirit coming and baptizing them in the Holy Spirit. They get the Holy Spirit once forever. You always have him once you have him. This filling is that fresh feeling, that, that, that overwhelming Filling, that extra dose of the Holy Spirit's power that he gives his people periodically for the mission of God to be able to stand in the face of 
persecution. And we have to have that. Listen, there's going to be a lot of stuff coming against you. If you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, you will fall. Have to have this for gospel boldness. If we don't have this, it's not gospel boldness. It's either cowardice or jerkiness, like we talked about last week. So they're filled with the Spirit, and then look, it says they continue to speak the word of God with boldness. When we are filled with the Spirit of God, we can march on knowing the sovereign Lord is with us and will accomplish his mission through us. Listen, I love Sunday mornings. I love when our church comes and gathers, but we do not gather in this place to build a wall around us and to keep us safe and to keep all the evil out. That's not why we're here. We gather so that we can get powered up by the Holy Spirit and filled with his presence so that we can go back out We gather so we can scatter back out into the community and take the gospel boldness to the darkness and see more people come to know and follow the great Savior, Jesus Christ. Right here, God answers their prayer to be enabled for the mission, but it didn't mean that it would come without suffering. We're going to see in the book of Acts, the suffering and the persecution doesn't stop here. It keeps going. I think too often, friends, we have confused ourselves on what success is in the mission of God. Somehow we've convinced ourselves that success means an easy, peaceful, convenient life. That if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, if I'm if I'm obeying the Lord, if I'm keeping myself clean, then God's going to bless me and everything's going to be awesome and I'm not going to have any problems. That is not the message of the Bible. It's not what it says about the mission. Mission success is following Jesus even through the suffering. It's continuing to march on knowing that he is with us. And we're not alone. We're not the first, and he will accomplish everything he says. One of the commentators I've been reading, Bach, he says this, the presence of rejection and opposition is not a surprise, nor is it sought. So let me throw that in there this morning too. You don't need to go looking for persecution, okay? <laughs> like, you, like, it's part of the deal, but you don't have to go like, you know, make extra for yourself. Okay, God's not telling you to do that. He's just telling you to follow. But when we follow, it will come. Should not be a surprise. And he goes on, but suffering is embraced when it comes from God. Some suffering in your life is not persecution. Some of it's just because you're stupid. Like you've just made some bad decisions. We all have. Some of it's because you're sinful. Some of it's because somebody else around you is sinful or stupid. But some of it is this. And when it's this, when it's persecution from the hand of God, when he allows it, then we walk through it with our eyes fixed on Jesus. When persecution comes, remember, you are on a mission. 
follow Jesus. Follow the commander. Eyes on the Lord and just keep marching. How can I be bolder when persecuted? That's the question. How can I be bolder when persecuted? It is coming. Too often, modern American Christians believe that if they're suffering, that something's wrong. They've done something wrong, some sin in their life, or God's just not doing his job. Or like We always assume suffering means there's something wrong, and that's not always the case. However, the biblical witness shows that followers of Christ should expect hardship, suffering, persecution, just like he went through. Jesus did it. If it's not too good for the God of the universe and human flesh, why is it too good for us? This is what he calls us to. Success in the Christian life is not merely to avoid pain or overcome persecution, but rather to endure, to endure in the power of the Spirit with a boldness that testifies to the glory of our God. The early church right here, they prayed that God would give them boldness. And God used them to change the world with the gospel. He'll do the same thing with us. If we'll get serious about humbling ourselves in dependence on the Lord and crying out, Lord, you don't have to make me safe. You don't have to make it easy. I just want to be bold for you. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Show me what it means to follow in boldness. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. God, thank you so much for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord, so much for the truth that you have proclaimed over us this morning. God, we need this. We need to hear this. We praise you that you are the sovereign Lord you are the almighty God who has absolute power and control over everything. So today, Lord, we cry out and we entrust ourselves to you. Lord, use us. Use us for your mission. Use us for your glory. Even if, the, even if that means persecution, even if that means suffering, God, we are with you. Lord, fill us with your boldness. Help us keep our eyes on you and find a boldness in the power of your name that comes from no one else. Lord, we want to follow you no matter the cost. In Christ's name we pray.